Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This show contains adult themes and is not suitable for children. So many memories of Bernie. He was an absolute darling and we loved him so much. Bernie Katz was fun, he was kind. When he walked in, the room just lit up. And there was something magical about this young man that just had a glint in his eye, that didn't give a shit about anything, but loved everything. My first impressions were of a huge, vibrant and outgoing personality, all hugs, grins, extravagant language and wild attire. When Bernie would kiss you, he would climb you like a koala because he's five foot nothing. Always in a leopard skin jacket, whirling around like a windmill. Oh, this is a character. I don't know if those people exist anymore. They're sort of dying out. Everything's changed. Because Bernie was the essence of this place. He was scurrilous, he was preposterous, he was gorgeous. He was five foot nothing and he had a heart bigger than this square. It is a bank holiday weekend in London, the late summer of 2017. The streets around Kentish Town, just north of the city and halfway towards Hampstead Heath, are unusually quiet, even for a holiday weekend. That evening, in a small, converted flat, just a 15-minute bus ride from King's Cross Station, Bernie Katz pocket-sized and long-standing front-of-house manager of London's Groucho Club is found dead by his landlord. His friend Damon Bryant was one of the first on the scene. When we discovered it, it was like, okay, we need to go up to his flat now before his mum gets there, thinking this is a drug on Boosfield, scream for help. He cleaned his flat, the best it ever been cleaned, put flowers in every bath. Someone had filled some vases with fresh flowers. But who did that? Was it Bernie or was it someone else? Bernie had hanged himself. The death certificate issued the following January put it rather more delicately. 
The cause of death was suspension. All the evidence found in that sad and lonely flat pointed to the fact that Bernie had probably taken his own life. Damon Bryant, Bernie's family, and many of his friends are convinced that Bernie did kill himself. He was as sober as a judge. There was no drugs in yeah, him. He yeah. was totally... He knew exactly what he was doing. He wanted yeah. to stand out. Fucking annoyed I am with him. He was done. Yeah, yeah. So say, he'd lived three times. His life... I've lived life to its full. Yeah. Oh, my God, he's lived it longer than I have. Bernie's mother, Rhoda, told me that her only son just didn't want to be here anymore. But others, many of whom I've spoken to, are not so sure. Even if he did take his own life, it's possible that he was driven to do so by someone or something. I met up with writer Leslie Ann Jones and asked her about whether these rumours, some of which we're going to explore in this series, were ever discussed at Bernie's funeral. No, of course it didn't come up at the funeral. Nobody was going to say anything about that, not even outside when we were all mingling, having a look at the, the reeds and the floral floral tributes and so on. Nobody said a word. I remember Kent Ollison coming up to me at one point, who was one of Bernie's sidekicks at the club. And uh, I said to him, what happened? You know, And he said, we are not talking about it. And yes, there have been the rumours. We've all heard. I mean, what did I hear specifically? That he was murdered. Um, that they made it look like a hanging, which I don't actually even want to think about. But uh, I don't suppose we'll ever know the truth. Little was said at the funeral about Bernie's state of mind at the time of his death. But it did come back time and time again that after losing his job at the Groucho Club some months earlier, his luck was beginning to change for the better. Here's writer Kate Spicer. I, I would not be in any position to comment on what Bernie's state of mind was before he died. It wouldn't be appropriate. Mm. But I do know people who know him, and they were talking about how he was hopeful for his new job, how he had been quite clean living for a man who definitely knew how to not be clean living. And, and I think he had his own struggles with addiction. And let's be honest, was surrounded by a lot of friends who may have been successful, but we're also addicts. Let's be honest, it doesn't matter how successful some of those people were, they had, they had coke problems. Bernie had his demons, as we will learn, but were those demons dangerous enough, powerful enough to make him do what he did? Maybe, maybe not. The police were only loosely involved. In spite of the coroner concluding an open verdict at the inquest, such a verdict, which is quite rare, confirms that a death is suspicious, but unlawful killing cannot be proved. It is then up to the police to take it further or not. The action writer Helen Lederer was also a friend of Bernie's. Well, I was shocked but I was talking to people who uh, were in contact with him after he either left the Groucho or who was asked to leave, whatever. So uh, we knew there was controversy around it, but there was controversy around the Groucho at that time anyway. I knew that uh, the rumours uh, that he, there were people after him 
for money. Nothing would surprise me of who he was uh, involved with, but it's just terrifyingly sad that someone who could, was such a high functioning person, you know, unique, it's tragic that somebody who was so highly functioning um, took his own life. So we are left then with our own conclusions and an awkward mystery. A mystery that I intend to explore in the next three episodes. Did Bernie die by his own hand or was someone else involved? Who killed the Prince of Soho? Whatever happened in the flat that day, there is no question that Bernie had been in a very dark place in the months preceding his death. He didn't want to leave Groucho. Groucho didn't want him to go. There were certain people that couldn't manage him, but the owner wanted him to stay. He wasn't happy there. And it was time to get out and try and do a new something new. We needed to reinvent Bernie. I mean, the truth is Diego, his last boyfriend, Diego wanted to be a photographer and Bernie yeah. put him through photography school. Yeah. And essentially a month before Bernie killed himself, Diego ran away. So that was one of the elements yeah. that took him to that space of undone. Bernie had been forced out of the job that he had loved, a job that meant more to him perhaps than he ever realised, especially when he didn't have it anymore. For more than 30 years, Bernard Clifford Katz had been the front of house manager of the Groucho Club. He was easily its best known employee. He certainly behaved as though he owned the place. Helen Lederer explains. He was very flamboyant. I mean, he wasn't frightened of being loud. And in fact, you know, he remained the same. Uh, the clomping about bits, all true. You'd know when he was there. It was never a surprise to see him, but it was nice when you did. And then he would be loud. Uh, he'd shout. He'd sigh. It's like he needed to be that sort of show-off child at the party that just jumped in and played and everyone looked at him. So he wasn't frightened of uh, looking a fool. You know, he went out for it. Bernie wasn't a manager, but he was a manager. Yeah, he was When they gave him the management role, first night he's in charge, he walks out of the place, which has got a 20 million pound arm collection and left it unlocked with all the fires on. I mean, it's only the grace of God that now walked in and did that. He was small, energetic, endearing and ever loyal, a friend to the stars, their fixer and confidants. Everyone knew Bernie, or at least thought they did. This, then, is the story of Bernie's life, the vivid and glamorous world he mixed in, and how that life unravelled. It's, it's the most beautiful, magical, mystical, tragic place that there is and um, you, you, if you need anything even from a bag of ice to a van load of tables you've only got to run around a few corners and before you know it you've got a, um, a chippy building you a table and you've got an Eskimo bringing you ice it's a it's a wonderful wonderful place that was an unusually reserved Bernie explaining what Soho meant to him back in 2015 in a talk for 5 by 15 
It is now September 2017, less than a month after Bernie's body was found, and the late summer sun is shining on the tightly packed grid of streets that marks out Soho in central London. Soho, we've all heard about it, all read about it. It all happens here. Sex, drugs, and yes, rock and roll. It's a small, loose little enclave, bold and brassy at the best of times, but also strangely discreet. It has its secrets. Soho is not like its near neighbours, Mayfair and Belgravia, aristocratic and smart, but it is an area that seems perfect for grandstanding, showing off. And one of Soho's more memorable moments... A great spectacle, even by its own flamboyant standards, is taking place this very afternoon. It is the funeral of Bernie Katz, the man they called the Prince of Soho. The term Prince of Soho was coined by the actor Stephen Fry. Here's Bernie interviewing Stephen in the summer of 2014. What made you, what inspired you to call me the Prince of Soho? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's... um, um, a, the name King of Soho was taken by Paul Raymond, who was upstairs. There you are. You heard him giving a little... There ping. you are. That's, that, that, was, was, that, was, that was a little angel. That was Paul Raymond. Flapping his wings. Every, every time you hear a ping, it's an angel. Um, and you're a prince of a man. You're a kindly and a good-natured man. Obviously, those in Soho who know you as uh, the, the doyen of 45 Dean Street, the Groucho Club, know that you have an extraordinary ability, although you're only two foot tall, oh, to throw out um, uh, undesirables who are drunk and unpleasant. You, you know, you're, you're utterly courageous. Stephen was Bernie's friend. Bernie had a lot of friends. Bernie had met many of them at the Groucho Club, which is tucked away in an old Georgian house on Dean Street, once home to a long-forgotten Italian restaurant called Gennaro's. Bernie had worked at the Groucho for nearly 30 years, and after his death that summer, many people, members, friends, family, said to me that Bernie was the club. Helen Lederer and Kate Spicer are both unequivocal. Seeing him was always cheering because it would be a familiar sort of bright, exotic flower spark. You know, it sounds corny, doesn't it, to say, but you just go, oh, there's Bernie, and he'll catch my eye, and whatever is going on in the crazy world of trying to be noticed or trying to... And he would know what's going on. I mean, he was... No fool. He was really interested in what people were doing. So you did have a kind of intelligent audience with him. Bernie died in 2017. And since then, I've been back to the club once. I think that says everything you need to know about the fact that Bernie was the club. And without him, it always felt a bit dead. Like in the olden days, if you went to Langham's and Peter Langham wasn't there, you felt somehow cheated. Uh, if you go to the Wolseley and um, neither Corbyn nor King is lurching around in their beautiful Savile Row suits waiting to greet you, you feel like you've somehow been cheated. He, even though he wasn't the patron, even though he wasn't the owner, he wasn't, he was just the host. His presence gave the Groucho a whole nother level of life. The rules we live by day to day in, our, in, in London, in, in establishments, didn't apply in the Groucho. Bernie created an alternative universe. And he kind of, he, he hooted and squawked and screamed over, the, over it, sort of like a kind of giant 
leopard print eagle. He's always sort of hovering there. And if he wasn't, there was a great sense of disappointment. You know, you'd always find yourself out on the smoking terrace going, Bernie in. And then someone would go, no, he's not in tonight. And you'd be like, oh, a little bit sad. But then the minute he approached you, you feel a little bit tired because his, his energy was just so high. You may not have heard of Bernie. It's fair to say that unlike some of the members he proudly looked after, Bernie Katz was not internationally famous. But in Soho, he was well known. He was a prince, remember. And this is a funeral fit for one. A jazz band inches its way down the streets. The cortege is led by a splendid, horse-drawn Victorian hearse. There is a massive tribute bearing the words, The Prince of Soho and the hearse is followed by several hundred mourners. Among the crowd are Sienna Miller, Sadie Frost, Alfie Allen and Noel Fielding, all of whom had known the small man now lying in the casket, silent and alone. The sheer numbers on the streets that day turned Bernie's funeral into an extraordinary occasion. It was the kind of stylish farewell friends said Bernie Katz would have approved of. Hundreds turned out to walk the streets of Soho to remember the man who became known as its prince. Until his retirement a few months ago, he was the host of the members' club, The Groucho. Many regulars, like actress Sienna Miller, still in shock at his passing at the age of 49. Bernie, ever the showman, ever the wannabe star, would have relished the fact that he finally made the six o'clock news even if he was in a coffin for the occasion. It was an extraordinary day, actually. There were thousands of people in Soho Square, just up the road from the Grouchy Club. And in fact, I've never seen so many people at a funeral. There were uh, people standing around, just just kind of observing from the side of the street, you know, construction workers, shoppers, bystanders, builders. Uh, There was a smattering of famous people, like Sadie Frost and... Jude Law, Dominic Cooper, Sienna Miller, that kind of people's Groucho Club members, you know, just and and the ordinary great unwashed Groucho Club members as well, of which there were many of us. Uh, quite a lot of leopard print, uh, people sort of paying homage to to Bernie and what they were wearing and so on. Quite a sombre mood, I'd have to say, until. Uh, the brass band turned up and then we had all the wartime songs, you know, it's a long way to Tipperary and and all that kind of stuff a bit before our time. And then, of course, the cortege, the horse-drawn glass carriage with Bernie's coffin inside. There was one very cute moment, I thought, when Jude Law and Sienna Miller, obviously no longer an item, and they were either side, one either side of the, the glass carriage, having their picture taken, but not coming with any, within any uh, sort of distance of each other, which I think Bernie would have loved that, to have come between those two at his final moment. The cortege made the journey up to Golders Green, where at the crematorium, Jude Law, a long-time confidant of Bernie's, read the eulogy. Bernie, a professional name-dropper and full-time friend to the stars, would have been tickled by the venue. Golders Green has long been regarded as the showbiz crematorium. He would have glowed with pride in the knowledge that if you have to be incinerated, this is the place to get it done. Mark Bolan, Keith Moon, Sid James and Peter Sellers are among the multitude of celebrities whose funerals were held here. And as Leslie told me, 
Bernie's was just as well attended. By the time we got there, the chapel was absolutely crammed, a standing room only. There were so many people there. It was a wonderful turnout for Bernie. And I kept thinking, as we always do at funerals, you know, he would have loved this. He would have been in his absolute element. Just could picture him wandering around the chapel, pouring champagne, overflowing glasses, Bernie snogging people and tittering and flirting with people's wives and husbands and so on. I, I just, I kept seeing him there. I knew he was in the coffin, but I kept seeing him wandering about. He was haunting the place. But as many of you will know, funerals can be expensive affairs. And this one took the biscuit. So exactly how did it come together? Damon Bryant explains. I mean, we wanted to do something special. There's a group of us, I was asked to get involved. They didn't have any money and I was asked to help. I think we all spent in, in the end about twelve to 15,000. Yeah. We wanted to go live and let die on it. For me, it was about Soho saying goodbye. Mm. And it was for me acknowledging and not taking the nastiness right. that the Groucho had ended up in and making yeah. that real again. So we'd created the collection. We'd got the most beautiful horse-drawn carriage. We had the red feathers. And the idea was to do a procession yeah. through Soho. When we arrived in Soho Square, I could not believe there must have been 1,500 people waiting in Soho Square. So the procession's going, I'm now at the front. I've got this amazing New Orleans band behind me and it's somber. The plan was that when we pull up outside the Groucho, it would turn into a classic disco number. As we're going down the square, I mean, we go, we go past Bar Italia, all the staff come out and they're throwing red roses in front oh, of yeah, the yeah. theater of the thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, shit, I've got to turn right and stop the traffic coming up from the bottom end of Dean Street and stop it, I'll concentrate. So I run and I get there and I've got a van and some cars and I'm holding them up. This policeman stops me in the street and goes, hey you, get out the road. What the hell are you doing? And I'm going, no, 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 I've got to stop the traffic. He goes, what do you mean? Look I said, look behind me. And he sees the funeral car. He goes, right, you take that straight, I'll yeah, take this straight. Yeah. And we stopped him. And we came round, I could hear a helicopter above. We came round and then we pulled up at Soap Grouch. So we turned to the thing and the biggest cheer went up. Everyone came out, everyone that had been on the street had chipped in from the hairdressers and Tonys at Gino's, two of the two Tonys there. And when we came past Bateman Street, I looked down. I mean, the BBC reported 5,000 people came out. And don't forget, these aren't all people that knew him, but they're all people that knew of him mm. or pretended to know him yeah, or pretended yeah. to love him or believed they loved him and believed he loved them, but yeah. I don't know anyone that would get that in other people unless you're a member of royalty. And what I love is, you know, before that day, every time his mum shut her eyes and thought about her son, she had this hideous image of his death yeah. and him being alone. What we achieved is that every time she shuts her eyes now, mm. she sees 5,000 people. Yeah. The cheer, the th I did three cheers for Bernie Katz in Soho Square. And honestly, it was just extraordinary. I've never heard a noise like it. Everyone loved Bernie. In death and in life, Bernie brought passion and more than a splash of colour into the world. And nowhere was that colour daubed more vividly than at the Groucho. Anyone who mattered in the loose world of West End clubland knew Bernie. He was the guy who could get anything done. He could get you anything you might need. 
Bernie was once asked in an interview if he had ever been given a job description at the Grouch Show. He said that his job had become just being Bernie. He was asked what being Bernie, Bernie the manager, actually meant. You've got to give people what they want, he said. It's your job to be sparkly and dazzling. As Bernie became more of a fixture at the Groucho, so he became determined to find a bigger stage. In his dreams, he perhaps saw the Bernie Cats chat show looming over the horizon. So he started to dabble in radio, and the first berth he found was in a local community station, Soho Radio, which had a studio in the West End. Every Thursday afternoon, he'd give the nation two hours of celebrity gossip food reviews and a hefty slice of disco. Comedian Matt Richardson. What? Those Soho radio shows were a mess. Like, what a nightmare. Like, he would be late. I remember doing it once and he wouldn't be there and they'd just start without him. And they were just carnage. Like, it was it was like herding cats because he was just a whirlwind. And you rather than kind of going, Bernie, can you please do this? And I need you to do this on air. You just sort of like let him do his thing and shoved a microphone in front of him. And when he paused, you go, fuck, that's when we do the song. You want to know something? He'll tell you something for nothing. And then a little tune on the side. It's like a magical mystery ride Cause he's the prince Prince. of Soho I tell you what you don't know Film club cocktail of the fortnight Fries offense, so it's gotta be right Cause he's the prince Prince of Soho The Bernie Bernie Cat Show Gershwin fusion rhythm and soul No Thursday noontime wouldn't be whole Without a dash of these statical Well, there we are. That was Bell Newell singing my jingle. I've been waiting for it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months. Had we been going for years and years? It'll be years and years. It's just gone two o'clock and this is Soho Radio London. It's Bernie Katz. Gordana, um, tell me about... About Bernie. Story. Tell me about Bernie. About Bernie at the, in the Groucho Club. Bernie was a barman, then decided he was going to be a personal trainer and a gym instructor. In the club? For some members of the club and also in some gyms that we thought were near to the club, but it turned out not quite so. (laughs) One day when Bernie was doing a bar shift, it was admittedly quiet, he said to the receptionist, if Vita is looking for me, rather formidable manageress at the time. I remember. Half Danish, oh, half Scottish, yeah. seven foot tall. And very, <laughs> very scary. One. If Vita's looking for me, tell her I've gone to buy some olives. Groucher Club, Dean Street, Camisa's, Old Compton Street, 30 seconds away, I reckon. 40 minutes later, Bernie's still not back. Vita comes storming out looking for him. Receptionist instructed to say, oh, the olives, he may, if they don't have the olives in that camisa, he's going to go somewhere else. Another half bike. an hour later, she's doing her nutting. Joe calls Bernie, who is in the middle of giving a spin class. I believe a gym in Camden Town. Camden answers the phone in the middle of the spin class, people around him, and announces to the 
those that were sweating away on their bikes. My sister's just had a baby. I'm going to have to go. Round of applause from the spinning class. And Bernie rushes back to the Groucho Club. Now, I only discovered this story about seven years ago. I was there at the time. Nobody knew that that's what Bernie had to His secret life as a gym instructor. I used to make it from Soho's cabin in seven minutes. The gall. The gall of it, Bernie. I know. I mean, you know, well, if one believes that one can do, one should do it, should not one? You'll be hearing more from his radio show throughout this series. A truly chaotic listening experience. But that's, of course, was Bernie all over. Although he was keen on his radio work, Bernie still took life at the Grout Show very seriously. In an interview in the official history of the club, Bernie said that he'd learned everything from one of his predecessors, Liam Carlson, who had managed the club soon after it was set up in 1985. He taught me never to say no. Even if you're going to tell them no, you say yes. Like, can I have a taxi? Yes, but not right now. Can I have a gin and tonic? Yes, but not today. It's not our job to say no. You always start with a positive. Our job is yes, you can have whatever you want. It wasn't just the Grouch Show that Bernie held dear. He'd always had an affinity for the rabbit warren of streets that make up Soho. He always said it was a special, magical place. In 2015, he gave a talk in which he looked back on the history of the area and described his own relationship with Soho. I started in, in Soho about 20-odd years ago. I, I started um, working in the um, Shepherd Market in, this, in a t- tiny little restaurant called T- Tiddy Dolls. And I was interviewed by this... <laughs> uh, I did. And um, <laughs> I did. I was interviewed by this waiter or this head waiter who said, I needed, all I need to do is learn how to glide. So I spent the whole weekend trying to glide. I wasn't very good at it. I was more bruised and battered. But um, from that day to this day, I've never needed to glide. Duck and dive, but not, certainly not glide. And around that time, around that time, it was really fashionable to start going out. Our going out and drinking cocktails became fashionable again. It was the thing to do. Opening up a club that was impossible to get into was the thing to do as well. And to get into the club, even, even if you got into the club any other way apart from the front door, then it was even cooler. It was, it was absolutely the thing to do. Apart from giving members what they wanted, Bernie had always excelled at keeping things quiet. He had seen the rich and famous in varying degrees of excess, and one of the reasons he enjoyed such respect was that he was discreet, utterly discreet. As the TV presenter Richard Bacon put it on the back cover of Bernie's first and only book, Bernie is known as the little man who can. Can what? Anything. That anything hides a multitude of sins. I had a funny story the other day about a guy in a very smart part of Britain who was basically being paid by a rich person to do coke with them and that's not Bernie I should make that clear that's not Bernie but I think there was an element of Bernie being a convenient person to sit down and chop out line after line after line with the thing is he'd actually stopped drinking and was just doing cocaine on his yeah. own, which is not, I mean, my God, I couldn't even imagine what that must be like. 
It has a ring of truth about it. I mean, the Groucho Club has a policy of no drugs, zero drugs. Anybody caught taking drugs in the club or in the toilets, uh, instant ban for life. But we, we know, don't we, that there is a drug culture. I would have to say a subculture because I've never seen, witnessed drugs being taken or drugs changing hands. But I think the London club scene is rife with it. It always has been. It was an open secret that Bernie could get you anything you needed if you knew him well enough, asked nicely and gave him the money. He'd return a short time later with a business envelope tucked under his arm. The Groucho, of course, was never a willing party to any drug use or supply, either on the premises or off them. The club's own druggy reputation is long gone. Drugs are not tolerated at the club and the management takes a dim view of anyone using them. But Bernie, however, was involved in drugs. And as we will discover later, perhaps it was that very eagerness to please his clients, his friends, that would lead to his undoing. If Bernie hadn't been so obliging, so considerate, he might just be here now, gassing away to us all. Did his involvement with drugs lead to his death, even inadvertently? As far as I know, there was no suggestion at the inquest that drugs had played a part. But I spoke to a number of his friends and Groucho members who told me that in the last few months of his life, Bernie had been frightened, very frightened. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So far, we've learned that Bernie Katz was in a bit of a spiral after losing his job at the Grouch Show, a job he had loved. But the more I asked around, the more a pattern seemed to emerge. He had lost his salary, which by the standards of the hospitality industry was actually generous, and it was clear that he was broke. He had a job of sorts, working shifts at the Union Club in Greek Street, considered very much to be a poor man's Grouch Show. This provided Bernie with not much in the way of cachet and very little in the way of cash. So he tapped up various friends for small loans and some were willing to help out. But as I was to find out later, he was feeling particularly under financial pressure. Here's actress Lily Law. Bernie was under a lot of stress financially. And after he left Groucho, I think he was a bit lost. I loved him enormously. He was prone to sadness episodes 
even in those days. But we all were, especially as we were mainly living off fags and booze. My husband and I wished we'd been able to just take him away from the problems he was having, rescue him, kidnap him, and keep him safe in the countryside with us for a while. Damon Bryant and Kate Spicer knew he'd had money troubles, but exactly how deep did this run? That's, that's one of the tough bits, because he then took on the mantle of his family yeah. and was, you know, for essentially his mum and two sisters, essentially the man of the house. They'd, yeah. both, they'd had a tough time. And that's, in a funny way, a lot of the pressure came in part of Bernie's demise without being horrible to them, because I love his mum, and why the funeral was so important for his mum, but there was a lot of strain coming from the family. He had to yeah. pay their rent. Right. He had an autistic cousin, yeah. nephew, nephew, yeah, yeah. who um, needed support and help. Yeah. And most of his money went, you know, keeping them afloat. Right. You know, he very, you know, Bernie didn't have to buy drinks. Diego going, the pressure of family, rent rates. Not that I'm saying anything bad about the family. That was the, he took on the, he was the, the matriarch of that family. Yeah. The, not the matriarch. Patriarch. The patriarch yeah, of the yeah, family. Yeah. And that was pressure. He had a lot of debt. And that debt was related to, um, was related, was related to buying cocaine, which there were rumours it was an Eastern European gang. So, yeah, that's what I heard and that was what was being spoken about a lot. Sometimes in a very cavalier way. I mean, one famous lady who was kind of Soho socialite, I'd say, was like, oh, well, of course, he owes 30 grand to the Albanians or 30 grand to the Kosovans or whatever it was. And now that was because of, no, not that long after he died, that was just being dropped into a gossipy conversation and uh, it felt sad and dirty to me because he'd been good to these people. He'd been super, super kind to them. It kept coming back to me from a range of people. They all blamed a group of Albanian gangsters who had moved into the cocaine trade in central London. In happier times, Bernie was the Prince of Soho and the King of the Grout Show. He was a confidant of Kate Moss and Jude Law, a fixer without equal and a trusted keeper of secrets. In many cases, his discretion and loyalty had paid off. In the 90s, at the height of Tony Blair's Cool Britannia, many of the young British artists, or YBAs, were at the very peak of their fame and influence. Such was their success and their notoriety that they found themselves suddenly and unexpectedly awash with money. At the Grout Show, they were living it large. His PR guru, Mark Bukowski, TV presenter Richard Bacon, and writer Kate Spicer on the YBA legacy at 45 Dean Street. The Grout Show's um, second wind came because of the... The, the whole sort of uh, YBA mob, the Young British Artists, and particularly Damien Hurst and infamously Keith Allen. Um, and that gave, and that's, what can, that's where Bernie's connection came into that art world, where he was very, very close um, to all those artists, particularly um, Damien, I mean, who, who held court there, um, you know, with, with the Blur guys, um, and Keith, and I think um, 
that's where Bernie's real passion came through. I mean, he was a real lover and connoisseur of young artists, um, developing them. And of course, that was then his links went deep into the Soho society um, and um, the traditions of Soho, which we've touched on, that back in alien spirit goes right back to when it was at the height of the porn revolution in the 60s, you know, driven a lot by the Paul Raymond empire that that touched all those different areas. Soho is a village and was a village and is a village. Um, um, but the but that that boom in the young British artists just as they were exploding um, before Damien became big, and, and these were in you know he was a great company. These people they were amazing, fun and mavericks, and just didn't give a damn. I've always liked the way that the Grant Show handles its art, which is yeah, seemed to do like Damien Hurst used to go there and Tracy Emin used to go there, and and they'd often just donate pieces. And a lot of them are still there. You can see, see pieces by Damien and Tracy there. You know, big Holland Millers that are now worth a lot of money as well. Um, and many other artists. And the Groucho would take the art and just give these people a bar tab. And they would also throw the art up on the wall in a way that wasn't curated. Most places, certainly members clubs, will get in someone, an art curator, who will think very carefully about what to buy, how to frame it, where it goes what it goes next to, uh, what the theme is, what it represents. Is it a metaphor for something? Mm. Whereas the Grand Show was just like, yeah, Damien, we'll have that and just stick it on the wall. It's funny. I don't remember Bernie in the Grand Show in the 90s as much as I do in the noughties. And perhaps that's because in the 90s, the Grand Show was vibrating at a level of all of its own. It seemed to sum up everything that Cool Britannia was about and it seemed to house all of its members. To walk in there, I mean, I was only ever a peripheral player, an observer, but to walk in there and see all those people was kind of enough. They'd turned the club into a buzzing, drug-fueled fun palace, seething with opportunities for nocturnal naughtiness, late-night boozing and drug-taking. In return for all manner of, shall we say, favours, Bernie had been given dozens of paintings sculptures and conceptual artworks. The Cats collection must have been worth well in excess of six figures, possibly even nudging seven. Some of it is worth a lot. It's not surprising that Bernie had art because he'll have been, he, you know, he'll have known Tracy and Damien and many other artists um, who used to go there pretty well. And they're also very generous, those people. They actually do when they like someone, they actually do give them art. Um, you know, it's always fascinating. Like Damien Hurst's art is worth so much that it's a bit like printing money. You know, mm. for him, he can just do a doodle and give it to you and it can be mm. worth a load. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. It's sad that he pawned it off because I know Bernie was in some debt, wasn't he, at the end of his life. And so he may have needed to sell it. But that just also speaks to the nature of the Groucho, which is you can't think of anyone running any other club at the moment where the artists would give them a load of art uh, that they, they have at home. You know, if rumours are true, some of the art had gone missing from Groucho that he'd pawned. He'd pawned all of his art that he'd got from varying artists. His art collection was just one of the many surprising things about him. But in common with so much of his life, he kept it to himself. The public Bernie, the one we all thought we knew, was very different 
to the private Bernie. Shortly before his death, Bernie had been named one of the most influential men in Britain by GQ magazine. When Bernie died, Stephen Fry sent out a tweet. Farewell, Bernie Katz, Prince of Soho, five foot nothing and a heart twice the size of Soho Square. His passing was deemed significant enough to earn him the main obituary in the Times. He would have been tickled that he was given a better placement than a distinguished Liberal toff, the Duke of Richmond, whose tribute appeared on the same day. The Times said of Bernie, As the long-time manager of the Groucho Club, Bernie Katz witnessed much loose and bacchanalian behaviour, often involving unlicensed chemicals, bottles of absinthe and the actor Keith Allen. Yet he was also a great keeper of celebrity secrets, protecting his beloved members from unwanted and even sometimes wanted publicity. Here's Bernie on his Soho radio show and Leslie Ann Jones. Well, you've just not got caught. You're like me, clever. <laughs> yeah, that's you've right. not got caught. You've got more dark secrets than anyone. I don't know. I've got loads of dark secrets. Oh, I've got imprisonable secrets. <laughs> What, the secrets or you? The secrets. Oh. I've walked in on so many off-key things that the key don't fit. Well, she kind of work there. You're going to see it. I, see I it know, but I don't want to see it. Oh, my God. Anyway. Do you not know the meaning of propriety? Barbara Streisand said that. I had a very bad experience once uh, to do with the club, which I wouldn't really want to revisit. And it hurt me a lot. It took me a long time to get over it. And it also took me a long time to go back to the club after it happened and when I did pluck up the courage to go back in because it's a bit like getting back on a horse you have to do it eventually otherwise you're never going to do it so I knew I had to and it was almost as though Barney were expecting me that day he was almost waiting for me in the foyer when I got there and he literally opened his jacket. He was wearing some big sort of checkered jacket with a turquoise lining with orange stitching all around the side. Very loud, you know, typical Bernie. He opened the jacket and he enveloped me in the jacket and walked me through to the bar, asked for a bottle of champagne, not a glass, but a bottle and two glasses. And he poured us each a drink and he said, here's to the next and he said, you know, bad things happen in here all the time as well as good things. And I want all of our members to know that we're here for them during the bad times as well as the good times. And it isn't about money or some of the members being more fancy or more famous than others. In here, everybody's equal. Everybody leaves their fame and their ego outside on the street. In here, we're all Groucho Club members. And he said, whatever happens, I'm here for you. I've been through shit myself, he said. And I know exactly what you're going through, but I am always here for you. And I really felt at that moment that he did love me. And I don't think it was just, you know, Bernie bullshitting because he was front of house at the Groucho. I really felt that I meant something to him. And I think that was his great gift, that he managed to make everyone who came into contact with him feel like that, in, as though they were special in some way. And uh, he certainly had that gift. Bernie was nothing if not discreet. TV presenter Sue Perkins, another friend of Bernie's, wrote, Gentleman, ringleader, hellraiser, and the one true Prince of Soho, you will be truly missed. And there was this from TV presenter Richard Bacon. He was kind and outrageous and discreet, 
and ridiculous and funny. He knew every member's name and their mates' names. He knew almost all of my family. I miss his personality, I miss his energy. I miss the period of my life that he represents, but I don't miss him kissing me on the lips, which is very much a thing that um, he did uh, uninvited um, regularly. The tributes were all heartfelt, but strangely, no one went into any detail about how, towards the end, Bernie's life had unravelled so quickly, quietly and catastrophically. No one speculated about where the money from those YBA paintings had gone. No one had probed into Bernie's demons. No one had spoken of the chilling fear that he was confronted with towards the end of his life. The truth is that almost everyone knew what had really happened to Bernie. It was just that for their own reasons, very few people wanted to talk about it. We'll probably never know the full shocking details. It's impossible to say exactly what went on in those last desperate months. Most of those who might have an inkling of what happened preferred to keep their own counsel. Even the authorities in the shape of Mary Hassel, the unhelpful and guarded St Pancras coroner whose office conducted the inquest into Bernie's death, preferred to clam up, refusing to release any details to me of the findings at the inquest into Bernie's death. I wrote again to the coroner, pointing out that in the interests of open justice, she should at least answer the following questions. Were the police informed of Mr Katz's death and did they investigate? How did you come to the conclusion that there was no foul play in his death? Were you aware that at the time of his death, Mr Katz was in quite serious debt? She refused to answer these questions. After much prompting, she finally wrote to me to say family privacy was the key issue. And I was advised that initiating a judicial review might be my only option. That would be expensive, time-consuming... And there was no guarantee that we would get to the bottom of what had really happened. The truth is, as I've found many times in the course of investigating unexplained deaths as a journalist, I have found that coroners wield immense power and offer little accountability. So we are left to draw our own conclusions. And those conclusions are almost certainly uncomfortable, not just for his friends, but almost everyone who knew him. Bernie, it seems, had met a very sticky end. And this, then, is the tale of just what pushed him to that end. Throughout my inquiries, I was met with so many closed doors. Doors that I thought I'd prized open, but then were slammed in my face. Some people said they would speak, then they changed their mind. One person said his lawyers wouldn't let him talk to me. Others were much more direct. At least three people told me straight. Bernie had to all intents and purposes been murdered. Whatever the truth, there was clearly something very fishy about what had happened to the Prince of Soho. In the next episode of Who Killed the Prince of Soho, we'll be hearing from Stephen Fry, Alison Steadman and many more. 
oh, I'm your Jewish mum. I'm like your mum. I'm looking after you. And then he'd be going, oh, let me suck your massive cock. The relationship with his father was so toxic. He hated the idea that his son was gay. His right. dad was a proper gangster. Then he came down, there was a car far far. Guy blows his dad's head off. They're all part of the same fetid, seething, self-referential nest of vipers that I think Groucho had become. Was Bernie depressive? I think yes. When alone, a condition he rarely sought, he had demons that flew about his head. I get a call from Bernie and he is in £20,000 worth of debt with the Albanian gangsters in Soho. We all collected and paid the debt. The way that the Albanians uh, operate is very, very peculiar because they did not operate like any other mafia in Europe. So they, in everything, what they do is just eliminate the middleman. I've never been able to establish exactly what happened and why, but whatever it was, it was so wrong. Our cover art features photography from Andy Fallon, and he can be found at andyfallon.co.uk. Many thanks to Soho Radio, 5x15, and all our contributors. Bernie, who killed the Prince of Soho, is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. 